Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar with Rehab U Practice Solutions. I know we have talked about evidence-based practice and research and implementing current best practices into your daily clinical treatments a lot on the show. We've had um, Teal Benavides, Dr. Benavides from Augusta University on to talk about it. I know we've discussed it with uh, Mary Beth recently with the integrative health approach and several other episodes. We'll link to some of those in the show notes, but it's been a recurrent theme here on the, on the Better Outcomes show that evidence is important and we need to implement it in our practice, not just read about it and put it on a shelf. So this week, um, I'm sharing with you a conversation I had with Sarah Lyon, who's the founder of the OT Potential Club. And the OT Potential Club is specific to occupational therapy, hence OT. Um, But the concept is pretty interesting and unique, and that's why I wanted to to share it with y'all, in that the the OT Potential Club is is a platform where they are regularly reviewing articles and research and best practices, and there's, you know, there's a component of continuing education involved, but really what it is is, is a community of practitioners built upon a database of evidence. So the concept is, is pretty cool, pretty unique. We'll talk a little bit about the club itself and how she structured it and how she started it. But then we've really talked about how do we take these articles that we're reading, these um, concepts that we might be learning in the literature what, around what is best practice and what we should and should not be doing or selecting for treatment options and actually apply it in our day-to-day clinical practice. So hopefully you walk away from this conversation with just some tips and strategies that you can use in your daily practice. Maybe it inspires you if you're not an occupational therapist to go out and start something like this for whatever discipline you're involved in. Uh, but without further ado, here's uh, Sarah Lyon from OT Potential Club talking about evidence-based practice and how she's usual, utilizing a platform to kind of promote that within her own discipline. Well, hey, Sarah, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm really excited about talking really about the OT Potential Club and evidence-based practice. But before we dive into all that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your clinical career, your clinical path, and what led you to doing what you're doing now? Great. I think I'll start with where I'm at now and then backtrack. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sitting here. I'm in Aurora, Nebraska today, and I am just really passionate and focused on helping connect OTs to evidence-based practice um, and new research that's coming out. There is a ton of exciting research that's happening in all areas of practice, but I would say overall, it's not super accessible. And that's one of our 
uh, goals with the club is to break it down, make it easier, and then have OTs around the world connect about it. Um, and we'll go into more depth in that later. But how I got to this point was um, I'm from Nebraska originally and uh, went to college in Minnesota and then OT school in New York, had a great experience, loved my occupational therapy program, um, came back to small town Nebraska, so far away from my classmates and all my resources, um, and worked at a hospital where I was the only OT and felt totally disconnected, uh, pretty frustrated because I was like, there's all these OTs out there um, yeah. doing the same thing that I'm doing and why can't I connect with them? Um, uh, going from big city down back to little city and you're the only OT, I'm sure there's a lot, a lot of pressure to yeah. All right, yes. do your job. <laughs> yes. And then you have this added thing where I'm treating people from my community, people I know and love, and I'm like, I wanna give you the very best care for your Parkinson's, uh, but I only see one Parkinson's patient Yeah. once every two years. like but you're my neighbor from growing up and I want to give you the very best care. Um, and I was frustrated with feeling like I didn't have access to knowing what that best care was. Um, so, so I started a blog that was like my initial idea <laughs> for how to connect. And uh, thankfully that kind of grew and I was able to get into um, like affiliate marketing. So I was able to make a revenue stream to make that profitable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and kind of got established as a business. And I got to this place where I'm like, okay, I have this established business, this established revenue, what do I want to do with it? Um, and I anchored back to that, my real uh, purpose in starting this in the first place was to con connect myself and fellow OTs with best practices and connect OTs to each other. Um, so that was when the idea of the OT Potential Club was born. And that was about two years ago we launched. Yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're kind of on your own in the middle of nowhere. You're like, well, let's try to connect people. One thing led to another and you're like, oh, we can make a platform out of this. So why don't you tell us a little bit then about what the OT Potential Club is and how it works and we'll kind of, we'll go deeper from there. Yeah. Um, so the, to kick things off, what we did was I contacted a research librarian who worked in health sciences and she helped me generate a list of the 50 most influential OT related journal articles from the past five years. Oh, wow. um, okay. And, and how are they just question, how are they measuring influence? Was it an impact score or was there? Yes. We talked about that quite a we she was able to look at um how many times a particular research article had been cited by other research articles oh, okay yeah so similar for that's how lots of people measure the impact of a journal but they uh -huh. do it by the whole journal and we dialed down to what what research articles are being cited um as like a way for us to kind of see like what's important in the research community what's getting cited a lot um so we get this list and then just one time a week, I write a review of that article, um, try to keep it pretty pretty high level, easy to read. I, I'm always like, yeah. 
can someone read this sitting on the subway? That's my goal, that it's that digestible um, and try to pull out a couple actionable takeaways. Um, And then we have a forum uh, to for OTs to discuss the research, um, either from where they dive into the article themselves or just their thoughts on the takeaways or if they've seen a patient uh, or had like a personal experience related to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, I, I remember, so I was, I tried your, one of your subscriptions to the OT Potential Club, and it looked like you had a pretty active base of folks who were in there commenting a lot. And for a while, you were doing like giveaways and things like that, right? For the most yes. highest rated uh, comment and things like that. Did you find when you were, when you're getting into that and you have this kind of group, this online forum of people that are reviewing one single article and they're, um, they're commenting on it, they're reading it. Have you heard from from folks in the group and, and that kind of thing, if that was an effective method for you know knowledge translation or getting people to take, I know one of the big challenges in evidence-based practice is, okay, how do we take this from reading the article to like putting it into practice? Um, let's see, I have a couple different avenues I wanna answer that through. <laughs> I guess the first is just, um part of what the club is starting to create is kind of like a database of um like the most important research related to different diagnoses yeah um so that's part of the part of what helps with knowledge translation is just that it's accessible like i have a patient coming in um that has ms i haven't seen an ms patient um So people will go into the club and be like, do a quick search and can read um, like a recent review for management strategies of MS. So that's how some people use the club um, Uh is kind of as that database, like they go to it when they need it. Exactly. Um, So I would say in that way, um, it's effective in knowledge translation just because it's accessible and digestible and something that you can read right before um, a patient comes in. Um, the other way that I think about knowledge trans, so there's like that immediate need for knowledge translation, uh-huh. but then there's always just, there's this other like long-term growth trajectory that we're all on as therapists. Like we're always trying to grow our knowledge base. Um, and I'm really interested in how people learn and how we like refine our critical thinking. Um, so what I thought about a lot before I started the club was just that process of learning and like honing our skills at being uh, more critical around what we're learning. Um, and I was like, I know to be really growing our knowledge base, it needs to be a habit. It can't be like once every three years, exactly, we yeah. binge something for a day. Like that is just not going to stick with you. Um, or maybe, maybe a couple things will, but you're not really, I don't think that's the best way for like growing your knowledge base. To me, it has to be a habit, like where you're regularly, um, uh, like diving into new information and, uh, making a practice of thinking critically about it. So that's something that we try to facilitate with the club is like once a week, you can look at some new research and just like be honing that skill of looking at it and taking it in and thinking critically about it. Um, And then the 
Uh, other way I think about learning too is we're so much, learning is so much more effective when we attach emotion to it. Um, and so that's oh, where the yeah. forum part is really important to me, where people share stories and experiences because you're way more likely to like code something emotional into your brain. And when you're seeing peers sharing similar stories like, um, oh, I had a patient with something sim with something similar and here was my experience, that's just going to code into your brain better than something that's really dry. Um, yeah, then T values and P values. And yes, all that yeah, that just doesn't, <laughs> I mean, maybe it codes really well in some brains, but like in the majority of us, if it's emotional um, and personal, it's going to code better into your brain. So if it's a habit and if it's emotional, um, I think that's the way to really be like over time, just like growing that knowledge base um, and helping us to think more critically about information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I kind of want to circle back and link some of these. So you, you have this need where therapists need something and they're running and they're grabbing it. So I'm sure you've, you've got data on, okay, people are coming and grabbing and looking at articles for MS or whatever, but you have this list of articles that I guess you're doing every year, the top 50 from the, from the previous year. And you're kind of running through them. Is there some other factor that you consider when it comes to highlighting whichever one you do each week, or is it just kind of like, okay, we've got the top, you know, the one that was cited a million times. So that's number one. And then the one that's cited a thousand times, it's number 50. And we're just kind of work from the top down. Yeah. And some, I've been kind of surprised. Like when we generated this first list, I had no idea what was going to be on it. Like I had, <laughs> and I didn't know as we looked at it, like whether it would be helpful or, uh, but as we've div like, as we've spent time in the different articles, I'm, I've just been blown away of like, wow, this is really helpful and it's helpful for more people than I would have realized initially. Like, for example, this week uh, I was writing a review about understanding, understanding sensory function in autism, which as an adult therapist, um, yeah, you might think is not, I'm like, oh, I don't need to know about that. Like, but what I'm, what I've come to understand is autism is just like where they're pioneering um, the new research on our sensory system. And so many of our um, uh, diagnoses that we work with also have sensory changes uh, yeah. in adults, schizophrenia, traumatic brain injury. They're all having these similar sensory changes, uh, but the in autism is where the pioneering research is happening. Um, so it is helpful for me to just have an awareness of how our understanding of the sensory system is evolving. Um, so, but to get back to your, to your question, uh, we do just kind of work our way down that list. Um, I think because as I've realized, uh, so many of the topics are applicable to everyone. Um, in a way that I didn't really anticipate. Um, and I definitely picture that, or I know that most therapists will spend more time with the ones that are immediately applicable to them. Uh -huh. um, but I don't think it hurts to just like skim through things that don't 
immediately seem applicable to you because everything's interconnected um, and the research really shows us that. Um, and one yeah. final answer to your question is I do try to balance adult, uh, specifically adult rehab content with pediatric content. That is the one thing that like causes okay. me to rearrange <laughs> um, because uh, every now and then in the list will be like all adult stuff um, and I'll like pull a pediatric one from farther Higher down up, yeah. in the list. Yes, yeah, and stick that in there um, because I do try to keep that balance of adult and pediatric focused content. Yeah, no, I think you bring up such a great point too about reading, you know, like autism as an example. They're they're making a lot of moves and gains in our understanding of the like somatosensory system and all that. But as you were talking, I was thinking, okay, like I have a I had a patient in my clinic earlier this week who has, you know, chronic complex regional pain syndrome, and she does, without a doubt, has some somatosensory processing things going on, right? After being in chronic pain for that long. So it might be something that's totally unrealistic mm -hmm. or un, unrelated, you know, like a pediatric diagnosis of autism, but it can inform your, your understanding and your, in your field. I think, uh, David Baker, Baker wrote a book and he talked a lot about like having a wide breadth of knowledge that you can draw from, even though you're, you might be super, super narrowly focused in your clinical, clinical work. So that's yeah. awesome. Um, so you're picking these, these articles down let's say you're, you're doing your, your, uh, your summary of them, if you would, um, are there any other kind of nudges or you, you, you talked about making this a, a habit at, like, how are you doing that for your, the folks in the club? Are there the nudges that pop up on an app or, or how are you drawing them into this, into this fold, if you would, of doing this every week? Yeah, you mentioned uh, we do still do the weekly giveaway uh, where our most uh, the comment that gets the most likes, that person wins $100. Uh, so we incentivize oh, commenting in that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little. I was like, what would incentivize me? Oh, just a little <laughs> cash, I think. <laughs> um, and then we also... We have a couple of supplementary things in the club uh, also to help draw people in. One is when we find a new assessment, which I did not realize there were so many assessments out there. Oh, yeah. We are compiling that into an assessment search, a database, uh, which is just another like kind of, uh, I hope what will become a helpful tool um, if you have a uh, patient with, again, with a specific diagnosis you haven't seen in a while, you can search this assessment base and uh, hopefully find an assessment that's really specific uh, to that patient and then could help guide your treatment. Um, and then the other kind of like supplementary thing uh, that we give for therapists is documentation examples, um, which links, I haven't even brought this up, but once a week, once a month, we also do a podcast where I bring an expert on and we dive even deeper into an article. Um, and uh, lots of times I'll ask that expert guest to give a documentation example. So that's just like another uh, thing that I know therapists are looking for um, and draws them into the club. Uh, I don't know if those are, I'm trying to, your question was like nudges that get therapists 
involved in the club and into that habit. Do you feel like those are the kind of nudges you were thinking well, about? I mean, or yeah, did, yeah. I, did I not answer well, that right? I well, guess no, the podcast was... would actually be the biggest nudge exactly, that yeah. like, came out as we were talking. Um, yeah, so that podcast is the other, um, probably the primary way that people get drawn into the club uh-huh. is they find it through our podcast. Yeah, and then they circle back and they're getting a notification once a month. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I've, I recently read- What other nudges should I have though? Well, you know, I, I was just thinking- Yeah, I, I was just, read yeah, Hooked like, by, uh, gosh, what's his name? Near Yes, Evil? yes. Yes. Yeah, I've and read that for sure. He talks a lot about sure. like building habit and what yes. you can do. And so I was, I was curious if you had applied any of that. Uh, yes, I definitely psychology. was like um, thinking, I read that right when I created the club and I was thinking about like, I think that's why I ended up doing that $100 giveaway, just like that feel good uh-huh. um, hook and those quick wins. Um, well, and you're also getting the likes too, which is nice. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, and you're interacting with the same therapist. But I do think there is a level of gamification that could happen on a platform like this that we just haven't even touched yet. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> there's always something else to build on a platform like that. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he really like made me, I was like, one of my ideal uses of the club is that it's something that you can like have pulled open during your day at work and be like checking in on all the, oh, like, oh, should I check an assessment? Oh, should I check a diagnosis? Yes, make it like a research. Uh, oh, I have some downtime. Should I make a comment? Like, yeah, that was, he made me think about its use that way. Yeah, that's awesome. And that kind of leads us into, so outside of just the behavioral psychology of getting people to do it as a habit, what kind of tips or tricks have you found that help clinicians kind of incorporate this idea of evidence-based practice, which at the surface sounds like super, super difficult. I'm supposed to read these articles. I'm supposed to you know, synthesize the information and make a decision. What tips or tricks have you found that help clinicians kind of incorporate that process into their daily routines and their daily practice? Because like you said, if it's not a habit, it ain't getting done, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the main thing um, that I try to encourage people with is, first of all, to shift your paradigm from being like, this is going to be a huge task where I have to overhaul everything that I'm doing <laughs> to be like, oh, evidence, we're really lucky as OTs because a lot of the evidence um, supports our approach to things like we're learning um like oh everything is holistic like um taking that like big picture approach to things like that is effective like a lot of the research is really good news for ot's like oh it is good to be doing things in naturalistic settings like a lot of the research is going to confirm what you're doing like our paradigm is really sound and uh, so what you're going to find is you're looking in the evidence. I like I encourage people to think of it more as like tweaks, like yeah, oh with this with your Parkinson's patients, we're really learning about the importance of like a certain amount of exercise. So keep doing what you are doing with your Parkinson's patients, but maybe encourage this specific amount of exercise at home, like 
yeah, just like a little tweak. Like it's not an overhaul of what you've been doing. There's just a lot of little tweaks that you can be doing. Yeah. Or like, oh, kind maybe incorporate this. over versus yes. overhaul. <laughs> yes. I mean, some things, some things over the course of our careers will get overhauled. Um, but overall, what we're finding is just like tweaks to what you can be doing. Oh, yeah. throw in a self-report with this. Um, and that's just going to enrich your practice and isn't a ton of extra work. Um, so that's, I would say that's like one of the main things that I encourage people to think of when it comes to knowledge translation is to uh, um, not make it such a big, a big uh, intimidating thing in your mind to think of it as, yeah, like you said, an optimization or a tweak and um, something where just like every week, maybe you can do a, a little thing slightly different. And that's yeah. how you're going to make progress over time. Yes. We, at the clinic here, we're always talking progress is better than perfection sometimes. Progress yes. Is better yeah. Than <laughs> <laughs> um, do you find it easier for, um, I find this, this conversation particularly fascinating. I had somebody on from the university last week and we were talking about this and there was a little bit of you know, discussion about whether or not this is something that's easier for younger, more tech savvy clinicians versus folks that have been in the game longer, maybe they don't even have, or they, by the, you know, when they went to school years ago, there wasn't this focus on evidence-based practice. So they feel like they're at a deficit from maybe a younger clinician who might've just graduated in the last couple of years. And they understand what a, a P value and a T value is. And they're able to kind of tease out some of the statistics. Yeah, I think I don't have a great answer when it comes to like, OTs in general, because I think people who join my site are the go-getters. Uh -huh. um, but of the people that have joined, so of the go-getter group, <laughs> <laughs> I would say I've been really surprised with how many older clinicians that I have. Um, ones, uh, I would say actually the the group that I'm missing is the middle age. Like there's the young uh -huh. tech savvy, uh, maybe have extra time because they don't have a job yet, like yeah. that kind, <laughs> that kind, or they're in their first prac, their first uh, job, and they're feeling overwhelmed, and they come to the club. And then there's this um, older set of clinicians that they're like, "Oh, I've tried all the continuing education. That's not pushing me anymore. I'm looking for something, uh, or I'm really interested in this new research." that's a little more cutting edge than like, um, like the basic continuing education I'm finding elsewhere. So um, yeah, I've been surprised by this older, uh, like 50s, 60s cohort. Oh, um, nice. yeah. And they, maybe I see them more cause they have more time to comment, but they've been a surprisingly active part of our club. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's good for like if you think about somebody that's getting into the field and they might be feeling overwhelmed or this, that, and the other, sometimes it's nice to have like the old therapist. I'm thinking, so Winnie was the person for me. I got to the VA oh, and I didn't yeah. know anything. And she was like, honey, you'll be fine. This is how we're <laughs> going to take care of it. And it's nice to have somebody like that that's been in the game for a while and can kind of, even if you're not in person with them through this, you know, through a forum, kind of mentor you through it, right? Yeah. 
yeah, and we're really lucky to have that cohort of people in the club who just naturally have more stories um, that they can share. Yes, I'm a big fan. So I'm not biased in any way because I'm an OT and you're OT, but OTs in general are good at, are good with people. And as a result, I feel like a lot of us are, are pretty solid on the story game. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> we always want to figure out somebody's story and what makes them tick and this, that, and the other. It's, it's Yeah. Oh, I'm um, always like, OT is the only like profession where I could have the kind of forum discussions yeah. that I do where like everyone's eager to share and everyone's like so emotionally intelligent. They're not like stepping on each other's toes, even if there's like a disagreement around a controversial topic. It's been like the easiest forum ever to moderate. To moderate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, well, I always close with this question. If there's just one or two main points that you would want listeners to walk away with, with, you know, maybe on the topic of evidence-based practice and how to grow as a professional and keep developing that breadth of knowledge, what would those one or two main points be? Definitely the first one would be uh, to reflect on your how you yourself think about evidence-based practice. And if it's something that's like looming and overwhelming, um, to think about flipping that script to be, to think of it as something that can be fun and energizing um, and something that you can do a little bit at a time. Um, it doesn't have to be like, oh, maybe in five years I'll, sign up for this three week long course and then I'll be evidence based. Like, no, it's something that you can start today and just take baby steps towards. And that might be you're going to make a lot more progress over your career if you're just making a little progress every single week. Yeah. Um, I think you'll be surprised how that adds up. Um, that's my first big takeaway. <laughs> Yeah, that might just be my takeaway. That, be, that, okay, that sounds like it. the takeaway. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, where can people find out about you and uh, and the OT Potential Club if they want to go check it out? They can come to otpotential.com. Uh, you can learn about the club right on that homepage. And then uh, we have just a lot of like blog content where if you want to see like our writing style and uh, we don't have any article reviews on there, but you, you can see how we like tackle topics through the blog. Um, and we have a chat there where you can ask us any questions. Otherwise, a, if you're a podcast listener, which you must be if you are listening to this podcast, uh, <laughs> you can find the OT Potential podcast and we have both our hour long episodes um, and then also a pool of shorter like 10 minute episodes uh, that can just give you a little taste of what these article breakdowns look like. Well, awesome. Sarah, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was fun. All right. Take it easy. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sarah about evidence-based practice and research and applying it to everyday practice. I think going back and listening to this, one of the points that she made that kind of stuck with me was the idea of how sometimes research in one area or 
specific field or subspecialty might seem on the surface to be totally unrelated to what you might be doing or I might be doing in the clinic every day. Um, but it actually can be very applicable because if you think about it, especially if you take a biopsychosocial approach like we promote here at the Better Outcomes Show and at Rehab U Practice Solutions, people are not just biophysical and there's many factors at play and sometimes some of those other research areas are really applicable to that patient in front of you right now. I think specifically she mentioned sensory and how the sensory processing uh, system is really being pioneered. The research for that is really being done in the field of autism. However, depending on where you're working, it might not be children with autism. It might be an adult who might be experiencing some cognitive decline or dementia. It might be even orthopedic in nature. You think about chronic pain and the role of sensory processing in pain experience and the lived experience of individuals with chronic pain, you can see how some of those concepts, while maybe being originally intended for the use of better understanding something with children with autism, could actually help improve care and really point some towards some insights for adults with fibromyalgia or some other chronic musculoskeletal pain, because uh, obviously pain is a sensory experience. It's emotional experience, but it's all, it's got a sensory component. So understanding sensory processing becomes very important, right? So it's, it's just a, a neat little segue about how sometimes just because it doesn't seem on the surface, like it might be applicable to you, it's worth checking out. I'm a big fan of not just in research, but in, uh, in life in general, having a wide breadth of knowledge and experience that you can draw from and then apply that in specific situations. So we read widely um, so that you have a, a, broad, a broad knowledge base to apply in your client's situations. So that's all I've got to say about that. If you like what we're doing on the show, uh, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find the show. Or you can head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show and you can sign up there to be notified whenever we release a new episode. We usually drop episodes every other Wednesday. Sometimes you'll get a bonus episode in the off weeks. Uh, but you can get all the information there at www.betteroutcomesshow. And if you own or manage a practice and you want to develop a system that helps you leverage best practices, new technology, and your marketing messaging strategy to maximize patient engagement and retention, basically, if you want to bring in more patients, retain them throughout their course of care, and create a uniquely impactful patient experience, then I would invite you to go check out our program, The Ultimate Patient Experience Blueprint. You can find that out at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com slash UPE. That's rehab, the letter U, practicesolutions.com slash UPE and learn more about the program, how we work with our clients and how we help them attract, acquire, engage, and retain more patients. Again, you can find information on that at rehabupracticesolutions.com slash UPE. Um, just fill out the, the contact form, send it off, and someone from my team will be in contact with you if you want to set up a discussion about whether or not 
it's something that might work for you in your clinic. That's all I've got for this week. Until the next time, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.